White Ice uh, 2018, a year of questions and conversations on race with United Methodist clergy and laity focusing on the 50 years after merger and how it has affected African-American congregations and their communities. My name is Vincent Harris, your host for this podcast, and we will explore uh, over the year conversations on yesterday's perspective on race, today's context of race in uh, United Methodist churches, and also visions for tomorrow. We will have guests from all walks of life, and we uh, hope that you will be able to join us in these conversations. Well, we welcome you again today, uh, Dennis Oglesby, uh, who is a good friend of mine, uh, and we've shared uh, in a number of uh, areas in ministry uh, through BMCR, uh, and is a, a good frat brother of mine. So uh, today, uh, we're still in conversation, uh, Dennis, uh, about uh, racism, the church's unfinished business. Uh, we're going to talk to a number of people through the years. I'm glad I've got the opportunity for you to be here and welcome you uh, to the podcast today. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, you know, the obvious question we're going to put on the table first uh, is that do you believe that racism remains the most challenging issue for the church and society today? Um, I believe uh, in all of its various colors, yes, Okay. it is. Okay. And, uh, and it is a monster we have yet to tame. Mm. Okay. Uh, we've tried to uh, calm it down. Uh, in some years, uh, it even seems that it went underground for a little while, but in the last... Uh, year or so, we have seen the hidden force of racism and how it continues to impact lives, particularly black lives. And so, yes, racism remains the most challenging issue in the church and in our society. Okay. And our church, uh, these 50 years since merger, Mm -hmm. um, what would you give the church on a rating of 1 to 10 and how it's um, worked with race relations? Uh, four. A four. A four. And I always ask why. You know and that. why a four? <laughs> well, until we get to the heart, everything that we do concerning uh, eradicating racism uh, is just, uh, if you sense, a mask. We just put a mask on top of things. We say, you need to repent. We call our white brothers and sisters in the denomination, tell them that they need to repent for uh, the atrocity of slavery in the central jurisdiction. And yet, while they may have given us money and helped us set up universities and colleges and things, the heart still has not been changed. And uh, racism uh, still perme- is still permeating within the life of the United Methodist Church. I sit in several chairs in this denomination, one of which is the Connectional Table, which is the body that discerns the mission and ministry of the denomination. And in that chair, I've noticed that uh, people of color are still relegated to inferior status. They uh, are not recognized. They are not allowed to use their gifts and abilities to contribute uh, to the work that is before them. Uh, There are assumptions made about one's intelligence. And um, I'm, I'm a child or product of the 1960s. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. 
Yeah, that's an interesting uh, and, and helpful uh, insight for, for leadership especially. Um, and as we've kind of come through this merger situation, do you think that the years that we've uh, worked on trying to be better have either helped or hindered? This whole idea of merger, uh, I think, was, was supposed to help uh, open up the doors, uh, be more inclusive, become uh, uh, better in our relationships. So, so I guess the, 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 the churches, especially African-American churches, do you believe they've lived up to their potential or have they been hindered by the merger process? I believe that before the merger that we had uh, 386,000 healthy, strong, black Methodist Episcopal churches. Okay. In the merger, uh, the merger caused a lot of shifts to happen. Um, and uh, once we became separated from ourselves, we no longer had the nucleus of our color and our culture and our united belief in a God who saves in spite of. Mm -hmm. It became a little watered down because we then had to adhere to the doctrines and the principles of a denomination rather than dealing with the God uh, and his son Jesus Christ who claimed us and called us and kept us even through racism and Jim Crowism and, and separatism and all of those things. So I believe that the, the black church uh, was hindered. Um, I also believe that the merger uh, disintegrated some of the power that we had as black people in the Methodist Episcopal Church. We had our own uh, jurisdictions. We had our own churches. We had our own black bishops. And we did not try to have to fit in to a structure because we were already engaged and in relationship with one another from all around the country. Every, every black Methodist knew and interacted with one another because of our commonality of being black and Methodist. But during the merger, we kind of split off. Yes, we have black bishops, but those bishops are no longer in the black church. They're over in the denomination. And something happens when that occurs, uh, that they become bishops for all of the people, and that uh, sensitivity to the unique needs of black people kind of falls by the wayside. Sure, sure. Yeah, that, that unique need, I think, is one of the places. And I, I don't um, uh, deny the fact that we've had a lot of advances, but it really has diluted yes. uh, our, our connection. Um, most of our churches today, and over these last 50 years, uh, have either declined, uh, are closing in the process, yes. or are closed. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think that we can do as African-American leaders to help turn the tide uh, that we see in our, in our churches? We have to go back to what works. Okay. And the gospel of peace, the gospel of love, the gospel of reconciliation is what draws people when they hear a word of hope in the midst of their hopeless situations and that Jesus cares and that Jesus died so that you may have life and have life more abundantly uh, when we forget those that core message uh, and when we don't preach it uh, and when we don't share it and when we don't example it we're not drawing 
persons. We're not giving God permission to draw persons uh, unto him because if we lift Jesus up, God says he does the drawing. And so uh, we've got got discipleship classes and instruction manuals. We have evangelism techniques and path ones and all the rest of that stuff. But the church is still declining. And I think the black church is declining as a result of the overall church declining. And when the church is not clear about who she is and what she is about, uh, the church becomes confused. And we know that confusion is a tool of the enemy. And so when we operate in confusion, then we have lost our clarity. And when we have lost our focus and that single-mindedness that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God does the drawing, God does the saving, God is not a respecter of person. So uh, we have to understand that we have to get out of God's way and let yeah. Jesus do what Jesus does yeah. through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. That, that is... Uh, I don't mean to preach, Doc. I'm just, no, you know, yeah, I, I'm just I, asking. You know, it is what it yes, is. You know, yes. and, I, and I think that's one of the things about getting uh, out, of, out of God's way. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the, the issues has been that we have put things in our own way, mm-hmm. obstacles in our own way. Of, of actually dealing with our own situation, yes. dealing with the issue of race and race relations in a 92% Anglo uh, organization, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, what, what do you think we need to, to do? Or what, what are the things that you believe that are in the way of ourselves, African Americans, that, that need to be moved or adjusted so that we can Uh, really tackle this problem. We need to focus on the things that are impacting our lives and impacting the lives of our children. Mm -hmm. And if we would focus on addressing uh, the prison, the pipeline uh, circumstance that's with our, within our culture and country, if we uh, begin addressing the inadequacy of an educational process uh, that has diminished uh, to be perhaps the, the sixth or seventh um, um, the sixth or seventh school system in the world that's not really serving the needs of our kids and people. We, we need to focus on those things that will help us become stronger. See, the, the beauty of the, of the uh, central jurisdiction was that we had our own stores and we had our own doctors and we had our own school systems and, and we had our own economic development processes mm-hmm. and we had our own bakers and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and all and the like. And so when we merged, then a lot of our uniqueness became muddled mm-hmm. into the uh, what they call the melting pot. And I don't even like to use that yeah. analogy because a melting pot says that you lose your uniqueness and your individual and you become something other than what you are, I believe that the term more of a salad bowl is more uh, reflective of, of, of what God would intend for all of God's people, that we retain our uniqueness, we retain our individualistic our individual contributions to the world, but yet we are just a part of what else is in the bowl. But when we lose our individuality and when we lose our our sense of uniqueness in God, then we become confused. And and then we become diluted and ideals become diluted. Our values become diluted because we have lost focus on who we are and who God has called us to be as a people. Yeah, that that that's that's a, a, a great you know I think uh, focus in on you know where where we need to be, um, 
and where we are. Uh, we, we are not, I don't think, uh, people today who, who want to go deeply into these issues. We, we, we always kind of just skirt That's the right. surface That's right. on these things. Uh, but um, you're, you're, you're a BMCR veteran. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've been, been through this for, for a number of years. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I feel to, that we need to question in our, in our place as, a, as an organization is, is how, how have we planned to address, you know, a racism as it is, and, and, and is, it, is it at this point in time in our history that we have not spoken up enough? Have we become silent? Over, uh, about this issue of racial justice? We have been vocal, but we have not used our loudspeakers. Okay. And okay. so being vocal says that you are still challenging and that you are still pointing out injustice and you are still uh, recognizing uh, uh, systems and processes that diminish and not build up. Okay. But we have not used the microphone or the loudspeaker because it seems that the church has turned a deaf ear. And I can tell you why they feel they've turned, I mean, why I believe they've turned a deaf ear. We've given you money. Okay. We have allowed you to become leaders within our denomination in every uh, sense of the word. You have Episcopal leaders. You have general secretaries. You have folk who uh, serve in our boards and agencies. You have presidents of colleges that we support. We have established, help you establish a black college fund. We've done all those things, and yet we don't see the kind of fruit that we thought we would see. And so if I was a fruit inspector, I'd have to go back and say, well, denominations, you may have provided us with money, but your morals haven't changed. You might have given us and partnered with us in establishing educational vehicles for our children and for our culture, but your heart is still not changed. And until God changes your heart, we're going to continue to have this dialogue about the just and the unjust, about those who are in and those who are still trying to get in. And so until God changes the heart of folk who already believe that they've done what they were supposed to do uh, to remedy the impact of slavery in this country, uh, we will continue to have this dialogue and we will continue to be fighting, but we have to fight and we have to speak up and we have to stand and and it is only through standing and speaking up and crying aloud, being like Fanny Lou Heyman that says, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And you, you, you just, if you want to kill me, why should I be afraid? You've been killing me a little bit every day all my life. Yeah. So, so we have to continue to take a stand and continue to call people and the denomination into accountability. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the, the denomination, as we see it, is uh, rapidly uh, changing. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at a, a special uh, session in 2019 that will address the issues of human sexuality. Uh, and I, I guess one of the things that uh, is a challenge for us, and maybe not a challenge, but maybe just a question, you know, since we have this issue of human sexuality on the table, uh, how does it impact black churches uh, as, we, as we go into this whole conversation, <laughs> as we look at it and, you know, and step back and say, well, what, what is the, the general church doing in this process and how does it affect us? Well, as black people, we are constantly reminded that it is the it is love mm -hmm. that conquers a multitude of sin. Okay. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him 
shall not perish but have everlasting life. If we would stand on the scriptures that build up, if we would uh, do a deep analysis of how God has called the, the Christian to be changed in Christ, if we would focus on those things that bring us together rather than separate us, we might remain united. But unfortunately, uh, there are folk who are concerned with what other folk are doing in their bedrooms. Okay. And I'm just, I don't think that because, I think that because we're black people and and, and, and BMCR took a stand on this in last year when we uh, developed our own stance on this issue, we cannot discriminate against anybody because we know firsthand the horror of discrimination we know firsthand how it feels to be relegated to inferior status to be tolerated rather than to be accepted and if god created everything and everything that god created was good then who am i to say that this person is deficient because their orientation is different from mine and so um, it's just, I can't say it's the same thing, but even when we look at the scriptures, there was a challenge to the early Christian church of letting the Greeks in mm-hmm. because the Greeks were different. They didn't follow the Mosaic law. They didn't understand uh, the relationship of God and the nation of Israel, and they didn't want to let those folk in. But Paul and Peter came along and said, no, son, yeah. God said everybody is welcome into this relationship with me. And until we get to that notion, we're going to continue to be divided around this issue. Now, black people particularly, we have to be clear that God is not a respecter of persons. But any person who is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things are made new. So we, we've had a, a good uh, discussion on these questions, but you may have something, uh, Dennis, that you want to share before we before we close out today. Well, I I I still have hope. Okay. I have hope in spite of what I see on television, what I read in the newspaper, and what. I experience in my own community. I live in Chicago, and Chicago, of course, has one of the uh, highest fatality statistics, uh, particularly dealing with black-on-black crime and and gun violence. And uh, but I still see hope in the community where parents uh, walk their children to school and pick them up every day. I still have hope when I go to the local community centers and see that there are men and women who are given of their time, talents, and energy to tutor and mentor our young people. I still have hope when I see that different denominations and churches are breaking down the barriers of what has separated them for long periods of time and bringing their resources of finances and human capital to play and making a difference in the communities where they're serving. We don't hear about those stories in the news. We don't see those things permeated uh, in our newspapers or on our radio stations. But I see hope happening even in the south side of Chicago in a little town called Harvey, Illinois, that was at one time one of the most prosperous suburbs in the Chicagoland area, which is now a food desert, which is now a home to desolated houses, which is now um, um, uh, strong. 
struggling with the school system and even in its political system. But there are still people who are willing to give of their time and their talents and their gifts to make a difference. As long as we continue to operate outside of ourselves, to build up each other and build up the communities where we find ourselves, God is still in the blessing business. And I am still excited about the hope that I have in the Lord. Dennis, it's been great. Thank you, brother. With you, I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to at another point uh, talking with you again. Hopefully, uh, after we uh, get through this 2019 session, we might have another conversation about where we go from. I look forward to it. Absolutely. All right, Doc. All Thank right. you.